As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. We are thrilled at the quality of guests we have for you on this historic day with the Bank of Japan capitulating towards a strategy like the Bank of England, the ECB, and the Fed as well. Dominic Constant with us uh, earlier, many people writing in, Alarian in the 9 o'clock hour, and now Ian Lingen with us, head of U.S. rate strategy at BMO Capital Markets. The good news is he can't draw a straight line, so Ben Jeffrey took the technical analysis award from institutional investor, and his colleague Lingen picked up all the other pieces of economics and strategy in the fixed income space. Ian, what did you write this morning? First of all, congratulations on the II uh, Love Fest. Uh, you've won it, I think, as many times as, as, as Ed Hyman, and you're a little bit younger. I want you to explain to us your first blush of this historic moment. Well, thanks for the congratulations, Tom. I appreciate that. In terms of the Bank of Japan, I think the most surprising aspect of it from our perspective was, yes, the timing, but to some extent that they lasted this long. When we think about what the rest of the world has been engaged in over the course of 2022, it's been collective tightening. Coincident, perhaps, and not coordinated, but the the fact of the matter is that Bank of Japan is now engaged. I stole from the foreign exchange space, uh, BMO Capital Markets, pretty darn good there as well with Greg Anderson. You know, I, I, I look at the sterilized nature of this. We're going to make the move, but we're going to increase bond purchases 25%. Explain that but to us and what that means for global finance. I think that their decision to increase the bond purchases was them implicitly acknowledging that someone's going to try to push that 50 basis point upper bound. And to do that, they're going to need to have the cash there to defend it. So that move was a bit more intuitive than I think that the headline might have otherwise implied. How sustainable do you think this is? So I think that the Bank of Japan is going to run up against the reality of needing to be more aggressive than they have been as the 2023 calendar unfolds, but I don't think it's going to be as quick as the market would like to see. We're hearing genies out of the bottle. Genies out of the bottle. This BOJ gets tested. New governor comes in. They're going to have to make another move. How would you think about a new governor coming in? Kuroda exits. April happens. What does that look like? From what I understand, the front runner at the to replace Kuroda for, for the Bank of Japan 
is very much in keeping with the uh, overall mentality of the Bank of Japan. So I wouldn't expect any massive policy shift. But even if that were the case, the groundwork has already been laid for a bit more of a hawkish move. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, out of negative rates sometime in the first half for the Bank of Japan. Your shop has the advantage of Gallo, and he's reporting into Greg Anderson, who's just flat out legendary in tertiary foreign exchange analysis. I, I don't know if you spoken to Mr. Anderson this morning, but the idea of a presumed glide path of strong yen from 150 to 132, modeling out 125, even lower, does he have a conviction that that glide path can sustain or is it overplayed? I think that his biggest takeaway is that momentum has shifted and that the progress toward the ultimate goal is going to be on autopilot to some extent. So I think there's right. high conviction on the glide path. Will they have the economic might, the animal spirit of nominal or inflation-adjusted, that dynamic of inflation of real GDP to allow for these trends to occur and the unwind of their debt ownership? Well, I do think that the trajectory that's currently in place suggests that there'll be very little problem getting there. Although, ultimately, we need to see how the first quarter shapes up in Japan. We need to see what the impact from a reversal of the yen, if and when it eventually occurs, is going to be for inflation in Japan. Have you changed your treasury call? off the back of this? What does it mean for the Treasury market? Uh, we haven't changed our call. We still think 10-year yields in 2023 at 3%. I think that's a relatively benign forecast given where we are in the overall interest rate cycle. And the one thing that I would emphasize there is at the end of the day, that's a Fed credibility call because we have break-evens compressing back to levels that were in place prior to the pandemic. And the biggest risk is that the Fed, which we don't think they'll do this, but would be that the Fed gave up the 2% target, and we just don't see the path oh, for them to do that. Well, that's a longer conversation for another time. So three on tens. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about where that is relative to Fed funds and the front end of the curve. I think that the biggest surprise for 2023 is going to be the fact that both two and 10-year yields can trade well below effective Fed funds. We've already seen that start. That typically doesn't occur until we're later into the cycle and the Fed has reached terminal and terminal has been in place for a while. So we actually don't see any rate cuts in 2023, but we see deeper inversion of funds versus twos and funds versus tens. Did you just say that the terminal rate is wherever it is and both twos and tens will be below that price up yield down. Absolutely. That's what's in place right now. In but the you, also, you also implied it could be as much as 200 basis points. And it historically has, precisely. And so I think what's that's your 10-year path? Where, what, what is your outlier on where the 10-year yield could be? So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong in one of two ways. One is I have underestimated the Fed's ability to uh, keep policy on hold well into 2024. We're assuming they make it through 23, 24, they need to, to adjust and they start laying the groundwork for that. That would imply that there could be more upside, obviously, in the uh, front end of the curve. The flip side being that we've underestimated the extent of the recession that we might see. We're looking for a more pedestrian, benign version of a soft landing. But if we got that wrong, then you could see two handle on 10-year yields relatively easily. Ian, I think you're brilliant. I've never seen someone so calmly explain something that is actually a monster that's right, call. That's, I mean, like, yeah. you know, it's a serious, it's a serious, serious call. 
and he is so calm about explaining. You know, it. and, and, and I, I had the great joy of knowing Fred Weigold when he was at, at Bloomberg and, of course, at the Wall Street Journal. And these beauty contests are not a small matter. Institutional investor in the Wall Street Journal, uh, the way they do the equity market contest, this is really, really hard. And part of it is not only making the call, it's a delivery. And, and Lingen does it, I believe it's in English. Is what we call that. Ian, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Ian Lingen there of BMO Capital Markets. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Our team has been working since 1 a.m. on this in London, in New York, and we are thrilled for Global Wall Street now to bring you Dominic Constum. He's head of macro strategy at the Japanese bank Mizuho. He is at Mizuho Americas. I want to make clear that he is not speaking for the management of Mizuho Bank. That would be inappropriate. For those of you in the United States, Mizuho is a 1999 roll-up of three banking giants in Japan. Mizuho translate as Golden Ears of rice and all ears at Mizuho Tokyo are attuned to the monetary policy of their Japan. Dr. Constum, thank you so much uh, for uh, being with us today. Dominique, it's just as simple as this. Given the zombie nature of the Japanese economy for 20 years, the dearth of nominal GDP, the bouts of disinflation and outright deflation, how constrained is this Bank of Japan forward? How many degrees of freedom have they lost in the lost decade? Well, I mean, they are um, clearly constrained in terms of the idea that they're going to sort of normalize uh, you know, policy in, in any way that we've seen it elsewhere. Um, but I think the, the time, uh, clearly, the, the, the idea of uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the targeting the 10-year yield and having negative interest rates, those, those days are numbered. The market's now uh, pricing for positive interest rates next year. Uh, and uh, this is basically is letting the genie out of the bottle. Uh, and um, I think it's something that we all expected, uh, but the timing was obviously uh, unexpected. I mean, the BOJ could have done this uh, earlier in the year when the yen was under a lot of pressure. Uh, that was the obvious time to do it. I mean, we, we were pricing for positive rate hikes 
so positive rates, I should say, uh, at the front end uh, back in June of this year. So the idea is that they they brought this forward. Uh, they're doing it before Corona is obviously stepping down. I guess there are still some reasons why they're bringing it forward um, uh, related <clears throat> to the fact that perhaps uh, they see an opportunity uh, to do it now. Better to do that before the Fed is actually reversing course on their own rate, uh, a path perhaps as, as priced by the market. Right. So I think there's, there's, that's a logic behind some of this uh, decision to go earlier. If there is a bet of disinflation, two bouts of U.S. inflation statistics better, even in the United Kingdom, a little bit of a whisper of better inflation. Is this a bet by the Bank of Japan that 3.7 percent nationwide CPI can come in? I think that's that's very interesting. I mean, basically, you know, we are seeing Japanese inflation rising now. It's, it's going to be around 4%. Uh, the, 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 the focus on the, the inflation from our, you know, from our Japanese colleagues has been really around the wage side to it. So the, the, the large wage negotiations start taking place really in spring next year. So the, the, some of the logic for delaying any move was to see kind of how those wage negotiations go because um, the inflation you're seeing now in Japan is really very much imported uh, from the uh, you know the weakness mm-hmm. in the yen uh, and uh, and you know, to the extent that that becomes self-fulfilling because say wages are allowed to rise that's a big uncertainty so my guess is uh, one read from the decision to move earlier is there clearly is going to be an expectation now uh, that you are going to see some uh, wage uh, growth finally some decent wage growth at least in line, right. uh, perhaps, with inflation. Exactly. Uh, Dr. Constam, you have written must-read essays on quantitative easing and quantitative tightening. And then there's a government with 50 to 80 percent ownership of domestic bonds, a government uh, looking at a fiction of a debt to GDP ratio out near 230, 250 percent. Do you have a confidence that Japan can unwind those two extreme positions? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we do. I mean, and 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 uh, the the, re- the reason is obviously if there was a, a really a shock uh, uh, widening in the band or uh, you know just getting rid of the band and allowing a sort of free fall uh, in the in the market, then then obviously that would have raised concerns, uh, you know, for for the, you know the debt holdings of Japanese financial institutions and how well hedged they'd been. I think over the course of this year, probably hedging has been actually um, you know, put in place quite actively. Uh, we also know that, for example, in the foreign bond holdings, the, Jap- the Japanese institutions have been very cautious uh, around uh, the interest, uh, the increase in interest rates globally. So I think the concern around sort of financial stability related to a sort of shock move uh, in interest rates is, has diminished uh, in recent months, and the fact that you know they are only moving 25 base points, I mean, it's not a you know it's, it's not massive, and and the back end has obviously moved a lot before anyway. So I think from that perspective, you know, um, you know, there's relatively more comfort uh, from uh, you know from this unwind or quantitative uh, uh, easing. I think that the the issue fundamentally though uh, for Japanese financial institutions is they need to obviously get their sort of loan deposit ratios uh, back in order and sort of uh, reduce their reliance on JGB holdings as a, as a large part of their, uh, the asset side of their balance sheets. And uh, you know, that's going to take a long time. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, you know I, I think 
you know, normalizing interest rates at the front end uh, in a sustainable way because inflation is higher and nominal growth is basically more sustainably higher. That's going to be the way in which um, the Japanese banks will restructure their balance sheets going forward. It's going to take a while. You know, we're not going, you know, we're not having a massive rise in interest rates. I think fair value in JGBs, according to our JGB strategist, is around 75 base points in 10 years. So, you know, you've basically done half of that move basically uh, today and, and no doubt we'll, you know, get the other half uh, in due course. Uh, but probably not not until the, the, the BOJ has actually lifted the overnight rate as well. Dom, there will be a lot of people waking up this morning thinking, well, what does this mean for me? Why should I care? Dom, what does this mean for global markets outside of Japan? Well, I mean, that's really important. And, uh, and you know, we all had that thought. It's like, oh, my God, you know, sort of what, what, does, what does this actually mean for global bonds? The first thing uh, that obviously occurs you know, to, to, to a lot of people is that we've already sold off global bonds massively. Uh, without um, the Japanese markets really being that involved. So the old days uh, when Japan would move aggressively, it was often often seen as a bit of a harbinger for uh, a global bond sell-off. And that was all related to things like the yen, you know, repatriation trade. It was related to a lot of Japanese holdings of foreign bonds uh, that they basically needed to bring back because they were less attractive. Uh, there were hedging costs that kind of undermined their attractiveness, et cetera. Uh, and so that was always a concern. What we've seen really this year is uh, the marginal flows out of Japan have, have obviously been zero, actually negative. They've been net sellers of global bonds, uh, quite, you know, quite impressively so. Um, and um, that's partly because as the bond market has sold off globally, uh, with uh, ECB and the Fed raising rates and relatively aggressively, uh, you know it doesn't. It's, it's not attractive for them to be overseas. Uh, so my guess is that the impact uh, basically is going to be somewhat much more muted now. And so far, that's already been the case. And it's just that you know the, these guys have not been exposed uh, as, as as they might have been in previous cycles. So yes, it's a it's a it's a it's a small negative for global bonds, but it shouldn't see you know we shouldn't see a sort of you know a, a kind of collapse in bond markets higher you know, yields higher, uh, you know, on the back of, of this normalisation. That would be my, my, my initial take. Hey, Tom, are we going back 10 years when we used to look at that data for Japanese investors and where their money was going, how many bonds they'd bought aboard? Are we looking at that every month again? Yeah, I mean, we can do, but I mean, they've been really flatlining now for, for a while, certainly this year. So we can definitely sort of uh, look at that. I mean, there are, there are important, uh, I think there, you know, there, there, are, there are important things to also consider. I mean, the, the attractiveness of um, the JGB market relative to, uh, you know, treasuries, um, you know, on a hedge basis is, is still quite, you know, it's still quite impressive. So I think we, you know, basically the Japanese investors have, are being encouraged to sort of stay at home, relatively speaking, which is one of the reasons why you could argue the BOJ can have a, a fairly orderly exit at this stage because, uh, you know, JGBs are, you know, uh, attractive and now even more attractive. So, so you know, we, yeah, I mean, I think we can definitely sort of look at that data but in the back, but I don't think it's the same, you know, it's, we're in a slightly different world now, uh, partly because of the, you know, the, the, the different speed with which these uh, central banks have been moving. Oh, without a doubt. Dominic, this was awesome. Thanks for being with us today. Dominic Constam there of Mizzou. Just wonderful. a wonderful lineup. Wonderful. We've got a fantastic guest around the table with us this morning. Happy to say that Kelsey Barrow of JP Morgan Asset Management joins us. <coughs> Fixed income portfolio manager. Kelsey, can I go to that question? I think the go-to question of the morning. Is it a step towards so-called normalisation or just resetting the policy stance for something more sustainable? Which one is it? 
So we did feel that the Bank of Japan's policy was unsustainable. It was time for a move uh, by them. Uh, we think that it was important that they did it now. Uh, they could have waited till January, uh, but they didn't. And so what we see is a, a policy rate or a 10-year yield around uh, 50 basis points is actually fairly consistent with the 10-year yield that, that we have right now. So we don't necessarily think that this is a huge story for the Treasury market, where we are expecting to see a lot of flows is uh, in Europe. So we do expect uh, European bonds to sell off on this. Uh, That's where you're going to get that repatriation trade from the carry trade. So this is the Japanese demand that you think is going to wane, the Japanese demand that was going into European bond markets. Is that a problem for Bund, a problem for the Italian bond market? Where's it the bigger problem? Well, I think in general, we've seen upward pressure on yields across Europe. And I think it's really interesting that you had the Fed try to be as hawkish as it possibly could last week, and they weren't able to tighten financial conditions. And finally, you had the ECB and the BOG, BOJ come to the rescue and get financial conditions to tighten. The Fed is not going at it alone. Um, I think that that is ne- actually a positive for bond investors next year because global inflation is going to come down. And we're seeing these yield rises as an opportunity to buy bonds and to leg into a uh, long duration positions. You have the great fortune of sitting across a desk from a guy who I think saw the financing of World War One, Bob Michael. I mean, it's just it's amazing uh, what you're dealing with. That was with. both a compliment and an insult, it, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, we're working on that. I'm sure Bob's going to love that. Yeah, thank you. The bottom line is everybody watching and listening has seen a minus 13% Bloomberg total return. It is now negative 6% annualized, two years now, 6% down, 6% down. How long does it take for me to get back to even if I'm running an adult bond portfolio? Do you and Bob look at it as a two-year exercise, or dare I say, is it a five-year exercise. Right. So I think the question you're asking is very important because we talk a lot about what's going to happen in the next one week, two week, three months. But when you look at a, let's just say, 12-month horizon and what you could potentially get from a bond portfolio over the next 12 months, let's just look at the global aggregate, for example. The yield is around 5% on a U.S. dollar hedge basis. And if you have, let's just say, a modest 50 to 75 basis point rally in yields uh, over the course of the next year, you're getting high single-digit returns on that portfolio next year. So that is why, kind of across the board, you're hearing people say, not just bonds are back, but as we like to say, fixed income's fashionable again. Fixed income's fashionable, Tom. What do you make of that? I'm um, hearing the equity guys talk up fixed income a lot. Yeah, you, yeah, I, I'll go with that. You know, you know, you see it behaviorally and culturally, folks, when you're walking down the street in New York, that's like 18 months to get my portfolio back uh, to zero is what I'm looking at. Where do you do that across a continuum? Do you use full faith and credit? Is it IG value? Or do you have to go to the land of Bramo in distressed? We are sticking with high quality. Um, that has. Could you been... see the TV show Bramo Barrow? No. It would be just. It like, would be was, just. That be... was the oil call of of Lisa back in the day. Yeah, but Bramo Barrow would be a great one-hour fixed income distressed debt. You know, it'd be a great show. Okay. 
It'd be good. Excuse me, I interrupted. Yeah. Continue. No, absolutely. No, Cassie, um, I'm you on just board. let him carry on. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, just continue. Ignore it. <laughs> so we are focusing on high quality. Um, you know, when when we look across the opportunity set with risk-free rates significantly mm-hmm. higher, you don't have to extend into those sectors um, to get the yield that, that you <clears> want to. Right. So um, we're thinking about agency mortgages. We're thinking about investment-grade credit. Right. We're thinking about securitized credit uh, that's higher up in the capital structure. Okay, I haven't asked this question. I think in like 17 years, what does issuance do? What does IG quality do? Do they, I mean, all the CFOs were down at wicked low yields. They're loving it. How do they reset and will JP Morgan see issuance in the next 12 months? So they are going to have to continue to issue, but generally uh, banks have ter- or banks as well as the rest of the IG universe have termed out their balance sheets and they've made themselves uh, put themselves in a very good position. Exactly. Um, high cash balances. Uh, they've extended out that debt um, and they've put themselves in a position where going into an expected recession, we've, we've never seen corporate fundamentals to be better. Can I finish on the high yield call then? Because when I last spoke to Bob, he thinks we're going to get some real spread widening in a recession on high yield. Can we finish there? What are your thoughts on that now? We are still expecting that spreads are going to uh, continue to widen here. So if you look at 400 basis points uh, range on high yield spreads, what we're thinking here is, yeah, if we do get a soft landing, these spreads are, are reasonable. But our expectation is that with the most aggressive central bank tightening that you have seen since the 1980s, eventually this is going to bite. And inevitably, um, when the recession comes, spreads are going to, to widen further from here. This was great. Kelsey, come yeah. on more often. This is just fantastic. Love Kelsey Barrow from JP Morgan. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's get to Winthin on this, the globe ahead of currency strategy at Brown Brothers Harriman. Winthin, thank you, sir, for being with us. What do you make of these moves from the BOJ this morning? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I have to be honest, when I went to sleep last night, I was worried they wouldn't have anything to talk about. And uh, lo and behold, we get a nice, uh, nice big surprise. Um, 
I'm, I am one of those 50-some economists who expected nothing. This was a shock. Um, the Bank of Japan tends to like surprises, uh, even in this in incredibly volatile environment. So once again, central banks are adding to global volatility, not just the BOJ. We have every central bank around the world is literally adding to market volatility with the policy actions and forward guidance. So it's a tough, tough um, sort of road to, 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 to travel for the investors. But bottom line... It's clear that Bank of Japan is going to hike next year. We had second half of next year penciled in. We thought, again, like, like consensus, new governor comes in in April. He does a review. Second half, rate hike. But I think that's moved the timetable much further ahead. I think we get something wow. uh, as soon as Q2 once a new guy is. Maybe even Q1 if Kuroda wants a surprise again. So the global monetary tightening train uh, rambles on. And that's, that's bad for risk uh, and, and sort of... Markets have been so used to zero liquidity. I'm sorry, zero rates and abundant global liquidity. So when you think this is a step towards normalization, it's not just about Absolutely. making a more dovish stance, more sustainable. Absolutely. Kuroda can deny it all he wants, but this is a clear step. And I would go back to my EM experience. Like once you start messing with the peg, uh, the markets smell, smell blood in the water. Um, I suspect this 0.5 range will be tested very quickly and very aggressively. Uh, and I think the, the, the Bank of Japan has let the genie out of the bottle, uh, perhaps a little bit too soon. As you noted, the big movement is, is, has been in the FX market. And I think that's where we'll continue. We'll see the, the real moves. But, but make no mistake, the, the markets will test this, this new sort of peg arrangement. Dr. Thin, with great respect for your Burmese heritage, Saving Face, I believe, is Anna. I hope I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. It's Onryo up in uh, Tokyo as well. And what I see here is a massive exercise culturally for the Bank of Japan as a domestic institution to save face. How does the culture of this forward to April and a new governor fit in? Explain the political calculus of the Bank of Japan as they stagger to April. Sure, Tom. It's, it's, look, we had um, hints that there's going to be some sort of policy review sooner, perhaps rather than later. But really, I think the markets really poo-pooed this because, face it, Governor Kuroda has been uh, devoutly dovish throughout this, this uh, episode of higher inflation. So it is strange to me in terms of saving face to be uh, saying one thing uh, you know, with, with 100% certainty and all of a sudden surprising markets. So, you know, again, I think right. sort of uh, reality sort of took, took um, precedence over sort of appearance. That is, they really couldn't keep this going much longer. Um, we, got a, we have a CPI print coming out on Friday. It's like to show further rise in both core and headline. And I think it became hard, harder and harder to sustain this facade that, that they're going to keep, keep things uh, as right. is. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a tough, it, to me, it's very tough to predict now. Again, once, once this genie is out of the bottle, it's, it's sort right. of all bets are off. For mere mortals away from the dynamics of monetary policy and theory, what is his dominant constraint? Is it fiscal debt to GDP migrating to 300%? Is it the inflation rate you speak of? Is it yen dynamics? Is it China? What's the constraint you're focused on? Uh, Tom, I say, to be honest, and this is uh, not being facetious, it's all of the above. They're juggling so many targets with very few instruments. Uh, and central banks in, around the world have gotten involved in way, way beyond sort of their, their remit, um, I, I believe. So as you, I think the main thing, as you pointed out, was the debt-to-GDP ratio, right? They, they've been, they own half of all GDPs, as Jonathan pointed out, uh, over 80% in certain tranches. Once the 
uh, interest rates start going up, those borrowing costs are going up sharply, right? That's the one thing that's kept this whole ball of wax going is that they've been issuing debt, buying debt, but at really low, uh, you know, sort of sub-market rates. If the 10-year yield goes to from 0.1 up to even 1% or 2%, which is not out of the question, uh, all of a sudden the debt burden jumps. Now, on the other side of this, and this is where my head starts to really hurt, and it gets hard to explain, harder and harder to explain. Well, half that is, is held by the government. It's not like it's held by foreigners and there's a run on hand. So it's, it's a strange, strange construct that's developed over the last two decades. Yeah. And, and my feeling is that they tried to keep this going and sort of kick the can down the road. And I thought they were going to do more kicking mm-hmm. than they, they have been. But it's, it's a shock that they moved today. When just briefly, that phrase, the genius out of the bottle, it's not the first time I've heard it this morning. I think a lot of people share that sentiment. My question would be, if that's the case, why aren't we testing the upper limit of that band this morning? Why aren't we up at 50 basis points on a Japanese 10-year? Why do you think that is? Uh, I would say it's too soon to say. I mean, you know, this literally just happened uh, hours ago. Uh, give it some time. You know, as you know, these big markets, it takes some people... Uh, some participants' time to sort of digesting. But I think when all the dust settles, um, it's pretty clear that you sell JGBs and you buy the yen. Uh, you know, this, this, in terms of the, the risk, you know, I, why they, they put this up, I, I think they did not want to risk a strong yen. You know, we have to talk about 125, perhaps I mean, you know, lower on dollar yen. Let, let's take one thing step at a time, but sure. stronger yen at this point, is, I think, is a, is a, a pretty uh, uh, sure thing. When this was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Dr. Thin, thank Winston. you. Of Brand Brothers Harriman. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomer. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.